0: All right, all right. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? So good to see all of you, and uh, thanks for being here. I'm excited to uh, be opening the Word together this morning. My name is Austin, by the way. Uh, I know JC said if I haven't got a chance to meet you, we'd love to meet you after the service. I get to serve on staff here in our connecting and equipping area and love what I get to do. I'm excited about this morning. Um, One of the things that I find really fascinating just about the human experience altogether is that we can enjoy different kinds of things. I mean, the things that I enjoy about life or the the environments or activities that I enjoy, you may not enjoy. You may think those are miserable things, actually. How many of you would love to spend the afternoon at a Georgia Southern baseball game watching nine innings of baseball? Anybody? Anybody love it? A couple of you, right? How many of you think that sounds absolutely terrible? I would hate to do that. Yeah, right? So we, we like different things. There's different activities that we enjoy. There's some, some things that I like to do that just fill my soul. I find them to be peaceful and enjoyable. There are things that you may not like whatsoever. Um, one of those things that I've just kind of come to grips with that I just hate doing this, and it took me decades of my life to just be confident with saying, you know what, this is just not for me. And that is the activity of hiking. Anybody like hiking? I, ah man, I hate hiking. Can I just be honest with you? It is the worst. I, I just can't, I can't get on board with like walking around the woods for hours all to maybe look at a waterfall for like five minutes and then walk down It just seems pointless to me. I can't get on board with it. Uh, And everybody, I know you super spiritual people, you're like, yeah, but as you're doing it, you can look at God's nature and the leaves and the trees, right? That's what you're thinking right now. No, for me, I am completely focused on the lactic acid buildup in my legs from hiking up a mountain that I can't even focus on the trees and the leaves and the beauty of the nature, right? It's just a miserable experience for me. It took me a while to just be confident. If you come up to me after service and go, hey, will you wanna go hiking with me? I'm going to give you just a hard no. No, not a a chance, actually. I don't want to. And part of that is because I kind of had a bad experience, I guess you could say, hiking several years ago. And this has nothing to do with my sermon, by the way. We're just getting to know each other here. Um, Like several years ago, I was uh, an intern at a church in Atlanta. It was kind of this like pastoral training program. There was me and like 20 interns. And out of all of us, one of the lead pastors came to me and he said, hey, do you want to go on a hiking trip with me? And of course, you know, this guy, it was an honor to be asked out of all of us, he picked me and I wanted to get to know him more. And I thought this may help our friendship or whatever. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. Would love to go hiking. I didn't. I didn't. But I said, yeah, absolutely. Would love it. And so he was like, all right, let's do it. And he begins to tell me a little bit more. And he says, by the way, this is not like a, you know, just a day hike. He said, we're going to go like up into the Appalachian Trail. It's going to be an overnight experience. We're going to camp out in the woods. We're going to carry the, the tent on our back. And these backpacks are weigh like 40 pounds. It's going to be awesome. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah, I would love to, right? I'm like, yeah, I hike in my sleep. Of course, I would love to do this, right? And so we go and I knew I was in trouble. I showed up to his house to get some gear and he gives me these hiking poles you guys familiar with these? You use poles to hike? That's when I knew I was way in over my head and there was no turning back, right? And so we go out on this trip and it was like in February at some point. So it was cold outside and we hit the trails at like six o'clock at night. And we hiked for like 10 miles that night through the trails in the cold. It was a nightmare. And let me give you a little bit of a background of who I'm with. That may help some. So the guy who asked me, he's a pastor, but he was He's a former Marine. And, um, well, he informed me. Actually, there's no such thing as former Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine, right? So he just was inactive or whatever. He was a Marine turned pastor. And so he's, he's the guy that invited me. He invites a Marine friend of his. So you got these two Marine guys, me. And then he invited uh, a 17-year-old kid who was dating his teenage daughter, which I thought was a brilliant move. Um, so if any of you have teenage daughters, that's a good way to just pummel him. And um, so anyways, the four of us went out and we did 10 miles the first night. We, we pitch our tent. We stay in the tent. We wake up the next morning, early in the morning. We hit the trails. I think we did something like 20 miles the next day. Altogether, it was like 30 miles in 24 hours. It was absolutely the worst experience of my life. And the whole time, They're like yelling these marine mantras at me like, Austin, pain is just weakness leaving the body. You can do it. I'm like, no, pain is the blisters forming on my feet right now. It's actual pain on my body. Um, It was miserable. It was freezing rain. It was actually like sleeting on us. It was terrible. And I just finally came to peace with the decision that I am not a hiker. It's just not me. That was, I think, in 2013. I haven't been back since then. So it's not me. But you have those experiences. Well, you have those activities that you're like, I'm just at peace with that decision. It's just not me, right? And it's funny because we all kind of view peace differently. And what is peaceful What is a peaceful activity or what is a peaceful environment? For some of you, you would love to do that. So let me do kind of a brief exercise that we'll do together. I want all of you to uh, close your eyes. And I want you to imagine the most peaceful environment you can for you. I want you to think about what's around you. What does it smell like? Who is there with you? Who is not there with you? All right, you can open your eyes. You all have that like instantly, that's the place that you go to, right? We all have these kind of things. For some of you, that was the beach. Anybody somewhere on the sand, a beach in Hawaii somewhere or whatever, right? For some of you, it was hiking. For some of you, maybe it was just that chair in that living room next to that window with a cup of coffee. It was a peaceful environment, you know? We all kind of define peace differently. But it leads me to the question of asking, what is peace, What is peace and what does it mean to be peaceful? It's kind of an abstract idea. It's kind of like asking the question, what is truth, right? What is peace? And so I'm going to read this morning out of Philippians 4. It's kind of where we're headed. We've been studying the book of Philippians for, I think this is the 11th week now, just walking through it kind of verse by verse. And so we're in Philippians 4 and I've got the first nine verses that I want to talk through this morning. Of this letter that Paul has written to the church of Philippi. And we're gonna talk a little bit about peace and what it means as we get to it in Philippians 4. So if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, let's do it. Philippians 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Paul loved the church at Philippi, he loved these people. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yoideo. Let's go with that. You guys like that? And I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. When I read Philippians four, I can't help but go to this place of like, Paul, are you a little delusional? Like, are you, are you in touch with reality here? Do you, I mean, Certainly you don't know what it's like, Paul, to live in the 21st century. Certainly you don't know what it's like to live in a world that has been crippled by something called COVID-19. I mean, do not be anxious about anything. And he uses these kind of extreme words, these, these large demonstrative words. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He says, be gentle to all. He says, do not be anxious about anything. I mean, I can get down with do not be anxious, and then I can kind of decide what's deserving of my anxiety or not, but to do not be anxious about anything, or I'm good with rejoice in the Lord, but rejoice in the Lord always? Man, Paul, are you are you in touch with reality here? I mean, what's going on? And what is peace? I mean, is it actually attainable? Does Paul know what he's talking about when he says the God of peace will be with you? So I am going to do a little bit of a walk through the Bible, describing how do we come to this concept of peace? Where do we get this idea of peace? As we talk about what does it mean to possess peace, possess peace. So we first encounter this idea of biblical peace all the way back in the Old Testament as it comes to us as the Hebrew word shalom. Can you say that with me? Shalom. Shalom, yeah. Shalom is a Hebrew noun that refers to the wholeness, the perfection, prosperity, and peace of God's creation. This noun encompasses God's vision for how he wants his creation to function. When he created the world, he webbed all things together with him in perfect harmony, delight, and peace. There was perfect shalom. And then with the fall of humanity, when sin enters the world, shalom was vandalized and perverted. From then on, sin, pain, and selfishness took over God's creation. Now, God desires to bring back shalom, to bring back shalom order, shalom relationships, and shalom rhythm into the world. And he will one day, fully and completely, when he returns. But until then... How do we experience his shalom? Well, if you continue to read in the Old Testament, you come across a prophetic book called Isaiah, where this prophet shares that one day a king will come. And this king, interestingly enough, is referred to as the Prince of Peace. And this Prince of Peace would usher in a kingdom of peace. He would bring wholeness and completion and restoration to the tattered parts of our world And to our souls. And this was good news because it meant that God was not abandoning his people to the chaos, but that he was now establishing a new way of life and order that would ensure security and wholeness for those who shared in his kingdom. And so we jump into the New Testament to Luke chapter 2. This Messiah has come, it's the story of Christmas, it's his birth. Luke chapter two, verse 13 says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The Messiah was now here and peace was on earth. We can now have peace with God, with each other and even within. This child would bring a pathway of restoration and union. For all people, there would now be a peace between Creator and creation. Hear me, peace was now more than just the absence of something, it was the presence of someone. Peace Himself came to earth in the middle of our mess and our chaos, and He brought order. And then we jump ahead into John chapter 14 as Jesus is wrapping up His years of ministry. He's preparing for his imminent death. And he writes this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, but do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The Messiah would not only bring peace, but he would ensure that we had access to it even after he left earth. It was permanent and not circumstantial. It would go against fear and darkness. It would be the gravity for followers of Jesus. It would be the firm footing when the world was falling apart during a global pandemic. And it would be the rescue for every troubled and rebellious soul. Peace. It is more than a sensation. It transcends a church experience. It is literally God on the move. God himself moving toward chaos of our lives, not away from it. It is God restoring what has been lost, broken, or stolen from you. It is God completing what was absent, the blessings that were missing in your childhood, the relationships that fell apart. And he's not just coming in to clean you up a little bit, to make your hair look good so that you can be presentable. No, he is moving into the neighborhood next door to you to transform your life so that it is pervaded by peace. We experience God's peace when we encounter him, which means, that, which means for those that do not know God through Jesus, they do not have access to this peace. And that's heartbreaking, right? But isn't it interesting that kind of in our cultural moment now, I mean, it seems like there's a rise of awareness that we need solutions to things that seem to block our peace or to break up our peace. Have you noticed that the iPhone now has ways for you to control your access to the phone? And and you can now set, you know, when you look at certain things and when you don't, you can set when you have breaks from certain apps and when you don't, right? It's almost like the creators of... These apps or or the creators of the iPhone now are coming into grips with, we need solutions to the things that rob our peace. And one of those is often our digital addictions, right? So the world is not numb to this. The world is opening up to the idea of we need peace. Whether it's a yoga studio, whether it's calming techniques, whether it's mindfulness apps, we have all kinds of ways to hopefully bring us to levels Of peace in our life. And I, for one, am grateful that society is kind of catching up to the fact that the climate of our culture does significant damage to our souls and thus our peace. But hear me really closely. There is no such thing as having God's peace without having God himself See, many of the world's techniques aim at helping you get this kind of state of tranquility and calmness. And they do so by wanting to empty your mind so that you can now arrive at some sort of utopian state. But the biblical perspective of peace is found only in Jesus. And it is only through him that I fill my mind, not empty my mind. I fill my mind with the awareness of him and his kingdom. It's why Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, fill your mind with these things. It's a filling of our mind. See, peace is not something that gets sent to you. It's not like you drive up to the bank and the little container goes through the tube and you order one ounce apiece. And Jesus is like, okay, here's one ounce of peace. Thank you very much. Have a good day, right? Oh, you're going through something really terrible. Here's two ounces. No, it doesn't get sent to you. Peace is not something that gets sent to you. It is someone who draws near to you. It is in a person. So when he says, peace, I leave with you. Peace, I give to you it's because he was giving himself. He was giving himself. So when you have God's peace, it's because you have God. So to want more of God's peace is to want more of God himself. And to want peace without God is essentially to want the gift without the giver or to want the kingdom without the king. And that is a backwards way of going about living in the kingdom. We get peace because we get the peace giver and he draws near to us. So maybe you're like, this sounds great. I mean, I'm in for more peace and I think I have a relationship with God. So I think I have access to peace, but why is it that I don't feel peace? Why is it that I don't experience this peace? Well, It's a great question. That's a complex question with probably a complex answer. But I think Paul here lays out a path to peace for us. Because not only do we possess peace through Jesus and through access to him, but we practice peace. And I think that's important because there's kind of two ways of looking at how we get peace. One is what I would call like a blue light prayer for peace. You ever heard of a blue light prayer? You know what that is? A blue light prayer is like you're, you, you don't have much of a prayer life. You're not much of a prayer person until you see blue lights in your rearview mirror. You get pulled over for something, whatever it is. And now what happens? All of a sudden you become a prayer warrior, right? You're a giant. You're just like, oh, God, our Father who art in heaven, deliver me from evil, Lord. Like the prayer life just comes awake in you. That's a blue light prayer. And I think that's okay for us. If that's all you know, absolutely okay. And God wants to hear the cries of his children and he responds to those cries for help when when your world is chaotic and it seems out of order and it seems like it's filled with anxiety, your cry for God's peace, he hears that. But there's so much more that's on offer that I think comes through practicing peace. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to just cry out for peace. I actually want to be the kind of person for which peace is my natural disposition. And that comes through practicing peace. See, practicing peace is the discipline of continually turning our attention to and posturing our hearts toward what is now available to us in and through Jesus. And Paul spells this out in this passage of how we lean into what is on offer to us now. So the first thing I wanna highlight here is in verse two, Paul says, I plead with these two ladies to be of same mind. Paul wants unity between the people. Paul's calling for unity amongst brothers and sisters. And we have to know that our peace is robbed by our disunity when there's disunity amongst us. And this is a big deal because a lot of us in the Christian world, we think that as long as me and God are good, as long as things vertical are all right, it's okay to have some conflict and some things going on in some areas of of disunity amongst people because me and God are good. But the biblical story is a lot different and tells a different story. In fact, Jesus and the writers of the New Testament especially would say if you have problems here then we have problems here that jesus highlights unity amongst us unity amongst us in fact jesus tells a story in his Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of his manifesto for what it means to follow him, right? He gives this story. He says, hey, if you are going to church, you're in the middle of church, you're worshiping in the synagogue at the time. If you're in that and then you remember that you have an issue with a brother or sister, you have disunity amongst someone, you should leave church and go solve it and then come back. Now, don't everybody leave at once, but that's, that's the, the height, that's the weight that Jesus puts on unity amongst us. So we can't buy into this thinking that as long as me and God are good, everything else, well, that just takes second hand. No, 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 Jesus would elevate unity amongst us to be just as high. You see, unity keeps us from having, or disunity keeps us from having peace. And then Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. So now he's talked about peace with others. And now he's going to talk about peace with God. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul emphasizes here that we should recall and delight. The literal word is to be glad in the Lord in the midst of all things. And remember, Paul is not writing from a safe, secure place. Paul is writing this letter actually from the middle of a Roman prison. Grungy, dark, thinking that he is probably on his way to execution. And he writes to rejoice in the Lord always. See, we tend to think that we get joy when we get what we desire. But real joy comes when you realize what you deserve. If not for the mercy of God, we would be dead in our trespasses and sin. And that's why true joy always flies in the face of entitlement. Because entitled people think that everything they have is because they deserve it. I worked hard for this. Which means if they lose anything, then they are now some sort of victim of theft. But a biblical perspective says everything that I have is simply out of the grace of God that he would give it to me. And the Lord gives and he takes away. But blessed be the name. Of the Lord, And that's why some of the most joyful people I have found are people who can confidently say, I do not deserve the kindness of God, but I receive it with full gratitude. See, your gratitude always precedes your peace. Gratitude always precedes your peace. So recall his goodness towards you and delight in his salvation for you. The next thing Paul says is, let your gentleness be evident to all. So now we're back at peace with others. And this word for gentleness is kind of a hard word to translate from the language, but it's basically having a gentle forbearance with others really gets at the idea. It's the opposite of being contentious and self-seeking. Forbearance is patient and self control And so we're talking about a gentle, patient, self-control with others is what Paul calls us to. And as you stand for Jesus in your family, in your community, in the organization you work for, your workplace, your school, whatever it is, your courage and your conviction will be important. But let me tell you, your gentleness will be just as important. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And can I just be honest? Men, I think this is really tough for us, right? I mean, we're okay with the, the women should be the gentle ones, right? We're okay. They can carry that mantle. But me, you know, I'm Mr. Tough Guy. I like to go hiking. and You know, I'm, I'm tough, right? But perhaps, perhaps our view of manliness has been skewed to become something that God never intended it to to be. Would people describe you as having gentle forbearance? Or maybe that's something that you need to grow in. The next thing that Paul says is just four words. It says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Four words, but man, it is big because it sets up what's coming next. The next verse is, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, if I were to go around the room with a microphone and just say, hey, what makes you anxious? What makes you anxious? What makes you anxious? Probably the first thing we would all say is, well, the fact you have the microphone in my face makes me anxious, right? But we'd have different responses. There'd be a lot of similarities, but they'd be different, right? Maybe what makes you anxious is the fear of the future. Maybe what makes you anxious is the fear of the unknown, right? Maybe fear of security, whether that's money or safety. Maybe the fear of not fitting in or acceptance or approval. Maybe the fear that you'll never get married or that your current marriage won't make it. See, we all have different anxieties and we all experience different levels of anxieties. And perhaps you're here this morning and this has been a significant battle for you. Maybe even to the point of trying to get medical help. And to that, I just want to be, you know, blunt and just say first of all, good for you. Good for you. You should. Good for you for fighting there's tons of things that you can do to to be in that fight and this is not a talk on mental health nor am I anywhere close to being a a licensed therapist or, or a counselor to help you through that but what I can do as a pastor and someone who's been entrusted to teach the word of God is tell you this that just as much as it is an emotional a mental even a physical battle it is also a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle for you. And then I would also say this, if if this has been a, a significant fight for you in your life, please hear me, God is not mad at you. He's not angry at you because this is something that you fight with. You have to hear the scriptures and the, and the writers of uh, or Paul writing this, and, and Jesus, when he talks about do not worry, they're not an angry dad coming at you like, you better not be anxious, you better not worry, or else kind of thing. No, no, no. They're loving. Jesus is a loving father. He's saying, don't be anxious. Do not worry about tomorrow. Why? Because I am near. I am near. And the reason God speaks into our worry and our anxiety is because oftentimes it points out the direction of our misplaced worship. Where you have allowed something, so much real estate in your inner person that it has become an idol to you. So in a strange way, maybe this isn't what you want to hear, but in a strange way, anxiety can somewhat be a gift because it points you to see what you are allowing to become an idol, what you're allowing to become a trust structure in your life, where you put your trust. So if you find that most of your anxious thoughts center around money and the obsession of it, the obsession for more, or maybe the lack of, perhaps it's because security in money is ultimately what you trust. If you find that most of your anxious thoughts center around your kids and their future and their failures and your failures as a parent, then perhaps you have made your family a God. If you find that most of your anxious thoughts center around your image and the acceptance from others, then perhaps it's because you've allowed people's approval to become an idol in your life. And I think even scarier is what I have learned through this is that it's not just that those things have become idols or those things have become gods, but it's that I actually want to be God. Because I want control. I want to control my life. I want to control my future. I want to control my security. I want control of everything. And when I sense that I don't have control or that I'm losing control, then the ground feels unstable. And it gets shaky and I get nervous and I get fearful and I get filled with anxiety. You see, if COVID has taught us anything, it's that we have very little control, right? We don't have as much control as we think we have. I mean, some of you in this room had businesses that you've been in for years that you've started, you've put your blood, sweat, and tears into them. And then this thing hits planet earth and now you're done dreams, done. You had very little control is what it seems like, right? It's real. You know, I, um, I have a, a five-year-old, we have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and five-year-old just started playing baseball. Now, this is a, a, a big kind of moment for me. Baseball was, was my thing, and so he's just started his games last week, and it's his first year playing. It's not competitive whatsoever, but they're learning, right? And it's really fun, and so I'm really excited about it. And so I think it was last week sometime. I get him out in the yard. I'm like, all right, Cade, we're gonna get out there, we're gonna practice, we gotta get ready for the game, gotta make sure you know the rules, gotta make sure you know the skills. You know, we're gonna we're gonna commit to something, which means we're gonna get good at it, right? We're gonna commit to it and be all in. And so I get him out there, and he is absolutely uninterested. I mean, just, but dad, I wanna play with my dinosaurs, you know, just he totally doesn't care at all. So I get him out there, get the glove on him. And then he's just, he's putting the glove on the other hand. He's throwing it up in the air. He's spinning around. He's doing, you know, whatever. And i just be honest with you. It worked me. I mean, I was, I was getting angry. And I don't know what had happened the rest of the day that kind of led up to that moment for me. But I sat there and I'm like, Kate, if you're not going to get out here and practice, then you can go sit in your room and time out. And he's just like, what is wrong with you, Dad? <laughs> like, What is your deal? And it just made me upset, you know? And as I processed that the rest of the day, I mean, I knew what was happening to me. I'm like, what is going on? Why am I so angry about this? And processed it the rest of the day. And on one hand, I felt this sense of like, well, I'm just being a good dad. You know, I'm teaching him he's got to work at things. I'm teaching him he's got to commit to something. But if I'm honest, other part, I knew the spirit of God was going Austin. That was not about him. That was not about his behavior and his commitment to a sport. That was about you. That was about your need to control your kids. You see, if I'm really honest, I'm scared. I'm scared that my boy won't enjoy the things that I enjoy. I'm scared that my boy won't be good at the things that I want him to be good at. You see, at the core of it, I want to control him. I want to control his life. I want to control his future. And yet the invitation of the scriptures and the invitation of God is to release the illusion of control. Because I can't carry that. And even greater, my plans for him are nowhere close to God's plans for him. And, you know, typically the areas where we seek to control are the same areas where we lack trust. Do I trust that God's plans for my sons are better than mine? I don't know. Maybe you don't exactly trust God with your future, and that's why you want control. Maybe you don't trust that he's your provider and will supply all of your deepest needs, and that's why you want control. Maybe you don't trust that he has a plan for your kids that is better than yours, so you look for control. And God would lean close to you this morning as he has me, and he would say, I love you, but you make for a lousy God. Your future, your financial security, all the details of your life make lousy idols. They can't and you can't hold the weight of your trust. But I can. And I am near. And it is through prayer that I begin to release the illusion of control and come to trust and my Father. When I sit with him in the morning, I offer him all these areas in my life that stir up anxiety in me, that play to my need for control, and I simply say, God, you are God, and I am not, and your ways are higher than my ways, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, and I can trust you. See, when thoughts of fear enter your mind, those kind of what-if questions, God and the New Testament writers call us to pray about our fears, to turn your anxiety into prayers and to do so with thanksgiving. God, thank you. You are always with me, faithful and true, and I need you. See, the solution to much of our anxiety is intimacy with our Father, that we gain through prayer, because it is being with him that we become like him. It's through being with him that we become like him. And the core message of the gospel of Jesus is not that you try harder, but it is that you would draw nearer. And that as you draw near to him, he draws near to you. And as a Uh, uh, As that happens, you receive more of his peace as he draws near to you because he is the prince of peace. And if we become the kind of people for which it is more natural to trust God than ourselves or man, then we will become the kind of people for which peace is more natural than anxiety. And then we fight. I love that Paul puts this in here in this last section. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, think on these things. We fight the war in our minds. We are in a war for our mind. And it is complex, but much of it is about replacement. It's about taking captive every thought and aligning it with the truth of scripture. How do we know what is true? How do we know what is pure? How do we know what is noble? How do we know these things? We know these things by submersing ourselves into the word of God, into his truth. And then we fight the war in our mind to replace the thoughts that come up, your anxieties, your fears, with the promises of what we know to be true. And then the last thing, I want to point out is not only do we possess peace, we practice peace, but I think really interesting to me is that we pass peace. And it's kind of a, a weird thing to say that we pass peace. And I've, I've thought it was weird, too. Um, years ago, when I was working at another church, our worship leader would stand up and he would sing and then he would lead into kind of a greeting moment like we had this morning, you know, hey, say hello to your friends and that kind of thing. And then he would always say this really odd statement. He would say, And as you do so, pass the peace of Christ. You ever heard that? Pass the peace of Christ. And it was kind of silly. Like me and a couple of the other younger guys just <laughs> would always make fun of him a little bit. Like, dude, what a funny thing to say. It sounds kind of old school. It sounds kind of cheesy, right? And he just, you know, would take it and never said anything until finally one day he said, Do you know why I say, past the peace of Christ? And we're like, no, we just thought you were kind of weird and kind of old school, you know? He's like, no. He said, if you read in the scriptures, there's a story in the gospels of Jesus when he sends out his disciples to go be kind of ministers of his kingdom, he sends them out. And there's this really like two lines in there that we often overlook, but he tells his disciples, he says, as you enter a house, if it is worthy, give it your peace, And if not, then take back your peace. Now, there's some things in there that we could unpack. But for me, what really stood out is this. Your peace is transferable. Do you know that? Your peace is transferable. Apparently it is. You can give your peace. Now, I don't quite understand how that happens. I don't know if that's just 100% supernatural, and it's just this God thing that happens. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit natural. Maybe it has something to do with our mirror neurons, the fact that when you smile at somebody, they have a tendency to smile back, or when you frown at somebody, they have a tendency to frown back. We kind of mimic each other through mirror neurons. I don't know if it's connected to that or if it's just 100% supernatural, but you pass peace. And so as you begin to sit with the Lord and draw near to him and his presence becomes near to you and it begins to wash over you and consume you and you begin to become the kind of person for which peace is more natural, then that starts to wear off on other people. People can sense it. They can see it. They can feel it. You ever been around somebody who just carried a peaceful demeanor about them? And this isn't about personality. It's not about introvert or extrovert. It's about who is so tapped into the Holy Spirit filling you up that his love, joy, and his peace just washes over you so much so that it can be sensed and transferred to other people. You see, I think that's the invitation. This isn't just about you feeling happier inside. This isn't just about you fighting some demons inside you, but it's about ultimately how you become a portal for which God's peace could be transferred. And maybe someone gets a little taste of peace and they go, I want more of that. I need more of God. I need more of His peace. My prayer for you this whole week has been that you would have such an increased belief that God is a trusted source of your peace for your anxieties, no matter what level that is at, whether that has been a significant battle for you or whether it's just kind of a a low-grade anxiety, anxious about life and some of the things, whatever level that you would have such an increased belief that God is your source of peace. You know, I mentioned um, my kids earlier. I apologize for giving so many parenting examples. It's just kind of my stage of life right now, but my five year old, um, you know, in the past year or so, he's become more aware of evil and maybe evil is too harsh of a word, but become aware of kind of bad things, you know, bad guys or bad monsters or whatever. And so it's been interesting the past year to watch as, Um, He's had to really fight for his peace and we've had to pray for his peace in that. And I think it's normal and it's natural and all those kinds of things. But, you know, there's been nights, there's been episodes that he's woke up in the middle of the night frightened by something and he just darts into our room and he just hops in our bed. And there's something about the nearness of his parents that just brings a peace to him, you know. But a couple months ago, there was kind of this moment that really stuck out. It was something I'll never forget, and he had one of these episodes. He woke, woke up in the middle of the night, and this time it was a little bit different. It was, it was severe is what it seemed like, and I could hear him crying. We've got a little monitor, so I hear him crying, and I hear him sprinting down the hall. So I, I wake up. I kind of just sit on the side of my bed, and he comes over. And as he comes over, he just falls into my arms. I mean, just just falls into him and he's crying and I can feel his little heart pounding. And I just hold him and I say, I got you, son. You're okay. I got you. I got you. Something had spooked him. I said, I got you, buddy. You're okay, son. And I just wonder if maybe that's the encouragement for some of you in here. Just to know that you can run to your father's arms. He can hold you. He can take all of your anxieties, all of your fears, whatever is stirring in you, he welcomes you into his arms. Because I know what he would speak over you is probably something similar. He'd say, I got you, son. I got you, daughter. You're going to be okay. You can trust me. And there's something about his nearness, something about his nearness that brings peace. And so maybe that's for you this morning. You know, what I love is I didn't ask my son, you know, what is it that scared you? Okay, well, that's not reasonable. Monsters aren't real. I didn't try to kind of work it with them. And God won't do that for you. Just run to him. Let him hold you. He can do it. You can trust him. Whatever it is that's stirring in you, the anxiety, the fear, you can trust him with it. He's big enough. And he's good enough. He's a good father. And so I thought maybe this morning what we would do is just kind of lean into a time of prayer. You know, sometimes we have prayer team members up here that you can come and receive prayer over you. But you know, sometimes I think we use that as kind of an excuse because maybe we're anxious about praying ourselves. So we'd rather just have someone else pray. And so what I want to do is just give you an opportunity to pray. That you would go to your father. That you'd say, thank you, God, for who you are and your kindness to me. But you would, as the writer of Philippians says, that you would present your request to God in prayer. What do you need? He's a good father. You can trust him. What do you need from him? But in doing so, in doing so, that you would recall and bring to mind who he is, his goodness, how big he is, And in that, you would release the illusion of control, whatever it is that you're trying to control, that you would release that and let him carry it for you. So would you do that? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and just invite you, we're gonna let the music play a little bit and um, just fight you into a few minutes of doing that yourself. Whatever you do, whatever you need to do to get comfortable, maybe you need to bow, maybe you need to get on your knees. At your chair, maybe you need to come to the front, maybe you need to go ask someone to pray with you. I just want to give you a moment to seek the Lord. Father, thank you that you are a good father. That you do not grow weary with us, that you are gentle, patient, loving and kind. Father, thank you that you not only receive us into your arms, but you are even powerful enough to bring healing. So we lean into you. Father, for the one in the room who would be brave enough just to say, God, I need you. Been trying to fight this on my own, been trying to fight this with all kinds of techniques and things, but God, I need you. I need you. Father, would you give courage to those who need to cry out for that? Oh, Father, I just see, Lord, you building a church that is people full of peace. Not because life is perfect and everything goes as we plan, but because right in the middle of whatever it is, whatever circumstances, we find our peace in you because we trust that you are good and you are more than capable of carrying the things that weigh us down. And so on on this Sunday, Jesus, we offer you our trust. We give you our trust. Father, would you bring peace to those who ask for it, we pray. Bring peace, Jesus. Pray all this in Jesus' name.